I like to see that offset at right about 30 to 36 inches high. If you think about it, when because we're trying to do trying to do two or three things with that offset. One, we're trying to protect that existing physical barrier because we all know that cattle love to scratch their backsides on a woven wire fence. So we want to protect that barrier. And we also want to um, give us an extension cord, if you will, that we can plug into with temporary fence like turbo wire and subdivide pastures. So if we have electricity on one side of the field, it's a very, very easy method to hook into for power distribution. Hey, hey, I'm Shay Keister, and I'm your host for the Casual Cattle Conversation podcast, where we talk about all things related to ranching by connecting you to peer ranchers and industry leaders to improve the profitability of your operation and your lifestyle. Now, if you are looking for a community of ranchers, sign up for my monthly Rancher Mind events. Rancher Mind events are mastermind events for ranchers. You join a Zoom link and you sit down and have a conversation with other ranchers and industry leaders about specific topics that help you improve your operation and face the challenges that we face as an industry as a whole. Now, if you want immediate ranch management advice, Go to my website, casualcattleconversations.com slash newsletter and sign up. When you sign up, I will send you a free PDF with 22 ranch management tips from the ranching gurus who have been on my show and poured out their knowledge for all to hear. With that, be sure to follow me on Facebook and Instagram by following Cattle Convos. You can connect with me there, or you can go to my website, casualcattleconversations.com, to find anything you may need. I'm excited to meet you. All right, Jeremy. Well, it is great to have you on the show today. Um, I'm excited to have you on here. And to start off, can you give a little bit about your background and what you're doing in the beef industry and share that with my audience, share that short story and explanation with those listening today? Thank you, Shay. Um, well, I'm Jeremy McGill, and I manage Kentucky, Tennessee, and Puerto Rico for Gallagher. Um, I've been with Gallagher for going on 16 years now, and uh, been in this territory the entire time. Um, my wife and I have a small commercial beef operation in Kentucky. Um, it's cow-calf, and we rely heavily on a grass-based system. And it's, it's been a great place to, to raise three boys. So, well, that's awesome to hear. So I guess I didn't realize that you were in Puerto Rico too. Do you do a lot of business with on the Puerto Rico side of things, or do you mostly stay in the States? I mostly stay in Kentucky and Tennessee, uh, but do have some, a couple of really good customers in Puerto Rico. Okay. So you already mentioned that you and your wife and your boys have a commercial herd too, and that you focus a lot on your grass and your grass resources. So what type of fencing systems are you using yourself? Um, The epitome of a hybrid system. So uh, we have permanent high tensile fence, multi-strand. We have a lot of temporary um, portable type poly wire fences, 
And we also have offset fences that are combined with uh, either a little bit of older barbed wire perimeter or some new fixed knot perimeter. So we use electric on every, every section of the farm and um, in, in all three types, basically. Okay, so you brought up the three types. So permanent is pretty self-explanatory. Can you go in and explain, you know, how you would define a cross fence and how you would define an offset? Sure, so cross fencing, cross fencing can be uh, either made from temporary fencing or from permanent high tensile. And we actually see quite a bit of both in, in the East. Um, basically, uh, I guess maybe jumping ahead, but my suggestion is if somebody is looking at cross fencing to do it with temporary fencing first, use the portable system, find out where um, your cattle or livestock travel patterns are and adjust it accordingly with the temporary and then move to more of a multi-strand permanent cross fence. Okay, so how about an offset? How would you describe that? So an offset is typically what we see an offset on is on a physical barrier. So it could be adding an electrified wire to a traditional woven wire, barbed wire, plank fence, or even chain link in some cases. But an offset is adding that psychological impact of the electric fence to a physical barrier. And there's, there's several things that, um, that adding an offset can do. Well, that's neat. So, and I know that's something that my family uses personally are the offsets, um, specifically on some of our rented land. We do a lot of that, but with the, the cross-fencing, how are you seeing producers in your area gain benefits out of cross-fencing? Like, what are those main benefits that producers are seeing by implementing cross-fences into their pastures? Well, first and foremost would be forage utilization. Uh, it's, it's a proven fact and, and all across the country, even in areas that, that don't grow as much forage seasonably as what we do in the east, we do know that some type of managed grazing or rotational grazing does pay off. And cross fencing is a very easy solution to, to help a farmer or rancher uh, control where those animals are within the, within the perimeter of the, of the property. Okay, so you've already, you already touched on that. You'd recommend producers to first cross cross fence with a temporary fence to learn where they want it to be first before they put in a permanent fence. What other tools or methods do you recommend to ensure success as producers implement cross fencing? Um, a piece of graph paper and a pencil. <laughs> um, that, that's why, that's why using the temporary cross fencing up I feel like it's so important to begin with um, because it can, you can move it. I mean, it's very easy to take a reel and turbo wire and reel it up and move it over 20 feet or go a different direction across the field and pick up some ring top posts along the way and then and start over. Um, so planning is key. And 
um, always, always recommend taking uh, an aerial photograph or some type of an aerial mapping program and play around with it on, on the computer first. And most people are gonna know the lay of their land. They can get a pretty good idea of, of where the fences should be, but using some type of a program will let you try to divide up your, your areas a little more equally, or maybe they don't need to be in equal portions due to, to forage availability. So definitely start out with graph paper or an aerial photograph on a, on a computer screen or an aerial photograph and a pencil first. And uh, very easy access to those from, from everybody has a USDA service center close by and the NRCS or FSA can provide you with, with aerial photographs of your property with your boundaries marked in most cases to begin with. Okay, so I mean, cross fencing, it's not a new technique. It's something that's been around for a long time. A lot of people use it. Have you ever run into a producer where cross fencing was not the best option for them to implement on their operation? Or for the most part, do you find it to be effective for almost everyone? It generally, it is, it's effective for almost everyone. Now there are mistakes that that can be made when, when cross-fencing or planning. And we see some of those mistakes quite frequently. What would some of those mistakes look like? Can you dive deeper into that? Sure. Um, the limiting factor for any type of cross-fencing or rotational grazing is always water. That's the first limiting factor. And not planning out your water availability first before you implement your cross-fencing plan, uh, that's a recipe for disaster. Um, also, the uh, location of gateways. Um, see a lot of producers that when they, when they start their cross-fencing, they'll put gateways right in the middle of a fence. And as we all know, trying to move cattle, uh, it, in the middle of a straight line is not always the best choice. It's not natural for them. So planning out gateways and also planning out water. I can't stress how important it is um, for planning your water availability, whether it's gonna be some type of a temporary portable water system or a permanent water system using something like a Mirafound energy-free water. Okay, so you've talked about, you know, you've hit on about three things here and that was, First, to get an aerial shot of your land so that way you can see where cross fences may um, be best located. Um, make sure your gateways are in the right spot and make sure you have proper access to water and keep that in mind. Is there anything else that producers need to keep in mind when they're implementing cross fences? Um, to an extent, it would be uh, your power flow. Where is your electricity going to come from? from your energizer and um, also what type of cross fencing you'll be using. As we hit on earlier, is it gonna be uh, temporary for extended periods of time or is it going to be a permanent two or three strand or four strand in some cases? Um, so there's there's uses for, for both types. Uh, and even in, um, I guess another thing to consider is the use of the area that you're fencing, you're fencing out or fencing in. 
Um, some producers will cross fence with a little bit, um, I guess, more robust or extreme design, maybe go to a four or five strand high tensile cross fence. And they use this for weaning areas. Uh, University of Kentucky has done some research with weaning cattle and there's other universities as well. Uh, but here close to home, UK has done some extensive research with weaning cattle behind electric fence. Uh, and using a multi-strand cross fence is a, is a great way to do that. Okay, so every rancher does things a little differently because every operation has their own unique goals to an extent. So have you worked with any producers that have done any um, unique cross fencing or use cross fencing in a unique way for their operation that maybe separates themselves a little differently from others? I don't know if I would call it unique or not, but I have I have worked with some producers that are um, they're utilizing multi species in their operation. So in that case, they are um, they may have multiple cross fences, but some of the cross fences may only uh, be a single strand, and that allows the small ruminants to move a little wider of a range than what the cattle will if that single strand is up high enough. Okay, so I kind of want to shift gears here and talk more about the offsets and offset fencing. So you talked about how that offset is essentially adding an electric wire to some form of another permanent fence, whether that's um, chicken wire, um, regular barbed wire fence, whatever it may be. So what are the, what considerations need to be made before implementing an offset onto your fence? Well, first and foremost, the type of, the type of physical barrier that you are going to be offsetting the wire on. Um, and also the type of post that your existing physical barrier is on as well because there may be different types of offsets that work for T-post or um, steel pipe fence type post versus offsets that would work for wooden post. Can you talk more about the different types of insulators you may need, what that looks like as far as setting up these offsets? Because you talked about how you need to look at the permanent barrier you need and how that, or you have, and how that's going to affect um, how you start fencing. So can you talk about the different types of insulators and other tools you may need as you put on these offsets? Sure. So basically you have two different categories of offsets. You have offsets that mount to the wire, so to the woven wire or the barbed wire, uh, and you have offsets that mount to the post. So a typical example might be a a plastic five inch offset that mounts directly to a T post. And in case you would have um, woven wire or barbed wire mounted to the same T post, that only gives you about five or six inches of separation depending on, on which product you use. The alternative to a T post mount would be a drive in type ring top or pigtail offset. And typical separation would be in the, the six inch range. Those affix directly to a wooden post. So if, if your fence is already 
completely comprised of wooden line posts, then a rigid ring top type offset would work great. Still only gives you about six inches of separation from uh, the wire that's the permanent wire, the, the physical barrier that's in the background. And of course, that's an accident waiting to happen if your single strand of high tensile offset contacts that, that big ground field of woven wire or barbed wire, then you're, you're going to have a short. Now, there are some options available to get out closer to 15, 16 inches away with a, a post type offset. Um, the, the other method would be a wire mount. So typically we find 12 inch pin lock offsets that mount directly to the woven wire or barbed wire. So it doesn't matter what type of post you have on the, the physical barrier. It doesn't matter how far apart they're spaced because the offsets mount directly to the wire itself. And since it gives us 12 inches of separation from that accident waiting to happen in the background, then it's, um, it's a great, great alternative to um, the, the closer plastic type uh, nail on or T-post insulators. And the 12 and a half inch, the 12 inches is, is my preferred method that I use where we have offset fences at home. Uh, it just, it takes out a lot of the room for air and it doesn't, it's, it's of no importance if I have T-post or wooden post or even pipe fence. Okay, so you talked about that accident waiting to happen with, you know, if that electric wire gets caught up in your other wire, your chicken wire, whatever it may be, or your pipe, whatever that permanent barrier is, what are other common mistakes that are made when producers start implementing an offset onto their permanent structures? Using the cheapest insulators they can find that mount to a T-post that only have about four to six inches of offset. And then to compound that would be using some type of low carbon soft steel wire, like a 17 or a 14 gauge steel wire uh, that, that does have quite a bit of stretch to it and no memory. So I always recommend to use a longer offset and use high tensile wire because high tensile wire is designed for, for a permanent application. It can be removed, um, especially on, on uh, leased or rented ground. And we can talk about that in a minute as well. But high tensile wire, we can install that single strand just like we would a multi-strand fence on an offset and tighten it up and not have to worry about a great amount of stretch if you do have wildlife that contact the fence for example so we want to if we're going to take the time to build it it's best to go ahead and take the time to build it right and remove any any room for error initially so how does that come across if you're using like the cheaper insulators and not the high tensile wire, does that just come through as a lower KV reading when you test the fence? Not necessarily. Uh, on, on, a, on a small amount of fence, you could potentially have as, as many volts on a 17 gauge wire as you would on a 12 and a half gauge wire, which is typically high tensile. Uh, it's more, I guess it's more 
from a factor of the longevity of the wire because the high tensile is going to last longer and the high tensile does have a memory to it. So it's not going to stretch and remain stretched. So if that low carbon, that small skinny steel wire, if it gets stretched, it's gonna remain elongated, which makes it much easier to come in contact with the woven or barbed wire that's in the background. And I guess another thing that, that uh, I see a lot and it kind of makes me scratch my head is when, when folks build an offset fence, they need to think about at what position on their physical barrier that offset needs to be. So does it go at 36 inches high, 40 inches high? Would it go on the top of a woven wire fence? Um, that's something that the producer really needs to consider. So for typical cow-calf operations or, or stocker operations, then I like to see that offset at right about 30 to 36 inches high. If you think about it, when because we're trying to do trying to do two or three things with that offset. One, we're trying to protect that existing physical barrier because we all know that cattle love to scratch their backsides on a woven wire fence. So we want to protect that barrier. And we also want to um, give us an extension cord, if you will, that we can plug into with temporary fence like turbo wire and subdivide pastures. So if we have electricity on one side of the field, it's a very, very easy method to hook into for power distribution. So um, back to the height. If that wire is at nose level on a cow, when she's standing there grazing, just looking around, then she's gonna be a lot less apt to pressure that woven or barbed wire fence. Um, with if somebody is utilizing small ruminants along with their, their cattle for co-species grazing, then you may wanna drop that offset wire down a little bit or add a second offset at 20 to 24 inches. What I see a lot is someone will put an offset at the top of a woven wire or a barbed wire fence. And so for example, in, um, in the Eastern US, there's a lot of woven wire a fixed knot and hinge joint both that is going to be about 48 or 49 inches of fabric. It's going to be held about four to six inches off of the ground. And then a producer will take an offset and, and apply that on top of the woven wire. So now we've got an offset wire that's somewhere around 60 inches. Um, there's nothing at nose level or rump level of a cow to prevent them from scratching. And very rarely do we see cows try to reach over the top of the fence to graze the grass that's growing up on the side of the road or on the other side of the, the fence. Um, so that maybe that's not the best application for an offset. Uh, if you have giraffes, absolutely. Uh, if somebody's grazing giraffes, then put the offset wire at the top of the fence but if you are grazing livestock like cattle, put the offset at the height that the cattle's gonna pressure the fence.
and that's common. You see that with barbed wire too. I mean, that's a another interesting conversation is why would you put a strand of barbed wire at 60 inches tall on top of a, a woven wire fence? So well, I'm sure you've seen a lot of different uh fencing styles, we'll call them, from a lot of different producers. So I appreciate your insight on what to and not to do when you start putting on offsets. Now, you mentioned um, leased land earlier. So do you want to talk about uh, some different options there for fencing equipment wise, what you recommend when it comes to fencing your leased or rented land? Sure. Um, offsets are great great tool to utilize on, on leased pasture. Um, in a lot of cases we see when, when an area comes available um, up for lease to run livestock on that the fences may not be in the best shape and they probably are not going to be a multi-strand uh, brand new high tensile electric fence. Uh, what we see a lot of the time, it's going to be an older barbed wire or woven wire that's in various stages of repair. It may have some, some trees and bushes growing up in it. And quite frankly, it may require a lot of work for the producer to get that fence back in good shape, good enough shape to contain animals. Um, one easy and very um, efficient way to add a little extra security to somebody else's land because we don't if we're if we're leasing it we don't want to put a lot of capital improvements in it that would be put up a single strand of an offset and with the 12 and a half inch offsets that are fixed directly to the wire then typical spacing on those could be 45 to 60 foot apart so we wouldn't have to put an insulator every 12 foot or 15 foot or even every 30 feet. If the ground doesn't have a lot of terrain changes to it, then 45 to 60 feet apart is very realistic. So you can literally add an offset to a fence as, as quick as you can walk down the fence line, twisting those offsets on, tie it off on the other end, and then walk back down the fence line putting that high tensile wire in the pin lock and back to the beginning. So an offset can be put up extremely, extremely fast. The other side of that is if a producer decides that they're going to move on to a different lease uh, or for whatever reason they, they're, they're taking their livestock off, then that single strand of high tensile can be rolled back up. And those wire mount offsets can be removed with a just simply with a screwdriver. And you leave the fence exactly the way you found it when you started the lease, and then you, you take your offset system with you. So we don't typically think of high tensile as being a, a, temp, a, a portable system, but a single strand of high tensile offset absolutely can be. Well, thank you for going into that and explaining that. As we kind of wrap up today, is there anything else you'd like to add about anything related to cross-fencing offsets um, that you'd really just like producers to understand? I think planning is always going to be, always going to be key. Um, planning and using, 
if you're going to invest in any type of, of system for your operation, then make sure you invest in good quality materials. Uh, if you think about it, your fence is a piece of equipment on your property that works every day of the year, 24 hours a day. So that fence is always, always working if, if livestock are, are present. Um, so treat it like a capital investment and treat it like something that you expect to last for 30 years plus. And, and that's, that's our ultimate goal when we try to, to consult and help producers design fencing is try to design a system that's gonna last at least 30 years. And there are, there's lots of resources available. Um, there's on our website, gallagher.com, we have resources, uh, our official Gallagher Animal Management YouTube channel has several video resources. And then also externally, um, there are cost share programs available through the NRCS in most every state that will assist with building and designing cross fences. Uh, so there, there is some funding available to, to cross fence for either fencing out sensitive areas such as streams and, and waterways or fencing to better utilize forage. So there's a lot of resources available and even some financial resources too that will. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy. I appreciate you being on the show today and sharing your knowledge and experience about fencing. I know uh, it's something that's important to all cattle producers, really. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Shay. I really enjoyed it. And that's a wrap on that one, folks. Thank you for tuning in today and joining in on the conversation. Be sure to take this a step further and take the advice you learned and implement it on your operation. If you want to have a conversation about it, head over to my social media and send me a DM by following at Cattle Convos and connecting with me there. Have a great day.